Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. I want to start off by perhaps putting into terms that we can all see what is going on around us You know, I think it was Denton that mentioned that, do you notice you just feel more out of place in this world every year? And you think about, I don't understand why this is going on. And man, I just don't feel at home here at all. And and just you just feel more like an alien, which the Bible says we are. You know, our true citizenship is in heaven. But I want to spend just a moment talking about the cultural war. That we're involved in. And you as a Christian, we must understand we are at war with the American culture. And the sooner we understand that, the better we can deal with it. Now, I want to just go back to 65 years ago, because that's how old I am and I can speak from experience. And the Christian culture and the American culture were not at war back 65, 70 years ago. Not really. And I'll just give you some examples. All right, let's take marriage. 65 years ago, you ask people in the American culture, what is marriage? They would tell you it is a joining together of one man and one woman. There was agreement. Nobody was questioning that at all. You even go to the Bible What is the Bible? And the average man on the street in 1950 would tell you it's God's Word. Even if he didn't live by it, he would say, yeah, it's God's Word. All right? Take the subject of divorce. The Christian church was saying, all right, divorce is allowed only because of sexual unfaithfulness and... Desertion by an unbeliever. The world was pretty much saying it the case as well. Do you know how many of a class when I was in grammar school of 60 or 70 students, do you know how many had divorced parents? Two. Two. Now, you take 60 elementary school students today, and I guarantee you it's going to be a lot more divorced than that. The American culture... In 1950, looked down on divorce. It was not considered acceptable. You had to have grounds for it. This was long before the no-fault divorce came out. When you didn't have to have grounds, really. You had to have grounds that could be legally substantiated in court. You couldn't just say, I don't like him anymore. I want to get out of this. Because the American culture was fairly lined up with the Christian culture. All right? Let me uh, just throw some other things up there just to bring it out. All right, what about gender roles? The Bible clearly teaches men have certain responsibilities, women have certain responsibilities, right? And there's a clearness about that, right? You don't find confusion in the Bible on what the responsibility of a husband and father is and what the responsibility of a wife and a mother. It's clear. And back in 1950... They were clear about it. They didn't have confusion about what a wife did, what a husband did. They were pretty much in line 
with what the Bible said about that. And then sexuality. The Bible, of course, is clear. There should not be any premarital sexual relations. It should be reserved for marriage. Again, in 1950, that was accepted as being the truth as well. Now, not that everybody followed that, but the people who didn't would admit it was wrong. They wouldn't have said, oh, it's right. They would say, yeah, it's wrong, but I know I do it. I'm just, I'm just a sinner, or I'm just who I am, all right? So even there was an agreement. But then around the 1960s, you remember the hippie movement and free love and all that kind of stuff? Man, we started seeing the war breaking out between the Christian culture and the culture of America. So let's jump this back to the 1970s and so. Marriage. We begin to see a redefinition of marriage coming up even in today. And now what do we have? We have a clear attack by the American culture on marriage. Clearly. We are called the bigots. We are the narrow-minded. Now, marriage is a union between two people who love each other. It has even been declared legal, as you know, by the Supreme Court who has no business making legislative decisions. They are declaring in one statement, they just changed the laws in about 30 different states. That is, anyway, clearly there is a war going on between marriage. The Bible, clearly there's a war Our American culture no longer accepts the Bible as God's Word. At best, it might just be some good literature that has helpful teachings in it. It no longer is the authority that we base our decisions and our life on. Again, divorce, no-fault divorce. You don't even have to have a reason. No fault. Just have it. Just do it. We want to do it. We do it. Totally attack against the family. Gender roles. You know the confusion that's going on there. I mean, there's even confusion about whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. I mean, what has happened when somebody like like Bruce Jenner can all of a sudden decide he wants to be Caitlyn Jenner and he makes the magazine, either Sports Illustrated uh, uh, or Time, I don't remember which it was, but he got the cover as being the most courageous athlete. Now, what in the world has happened to a society that celebrates that kind of attack against God's clear teaching about sexuality and gender roles? Again, now, it's it's accepted as being totally all right to have premarital sex, to live together. It seems to me that Many more couples are living together before marriage than are not nowadays. All right? And we, I'm even talking people who claim to be Christians. Again, our society says it's okay, it's right. All the television shows and the movies, it's all right, it's okay. And so our culture, again, is attacking the Christian culture, and we've got to stand strong on all of these. Now, as a parent, my philosophy with my kids growing up, knowing 
they were getting continually exposed to this cultural war at school, music, television, movies, you know, and as much as we want to protect them and guard them, you cannot do it if they're living in this world. 100%. You can't do it. I mean, you'd have to put them on an island somewhere just by themselves. Now, so what was, I, what was my philosophy? I just kept on hammering. Every time there was an opportunity, we'd hammer about the Bible being the Word of God. And we'd talk about maybe a television show would come on and they would be making fun of the Bible or something. And we'd say, let's talk about that, right? Or there was something that came out and, and it was a, a much lower view of marriage than the Bible. I'd say, wait a minute. Now, is this what God's Word teaches us? And we'd talk about that. I felt like I had to continually, continually reinforce, not just, I didn't badger, but every opportunity that was appropriate, reinforce the biblical truth because they were constantly being bombarded by the secular untruth, lies, and if I didn't counteract that with a loving relationship first with them so they respected what I had to say. And by the way, when the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It puts obedience first, because if your kids won't obey you, they won't respect you. The first thing your kid needs to learn when he's one and a half and two years old is to obey your voice. And usually it's a no, because they start reaching for stuff they don't need to be reaching for, and you've got to say no. Because if they don't learn to obey your voice, they'll never respect you. And some parents say, well, I don't want them to not like me. Trust me, it's a very children whose parents did not make them obey they grow up to turn against their parents because they don't respect them anyway so constantly you got to be bombarding or you got to be imparting or you've got to be sharing god's truth with your kids to counteract all the lie and this is not all of them by any means that they're being this is a cultural war we have got to stand we've got to dig in And we've got to continually proclaim what is true. And that's why you're feeling more and more out of place. That's why you're thinking, am I a nut? It doesn't seem like anybody's believing what I believe. The national news, I mean, they're, again. Now, having said that, I wanted to get us to motherhood. Now, in 1960, before, motherhood was elevated. It was considered to be a a very noble and high calling. If you went up to a senior girl in 1940, 1930, and you said to her, What are you, honey, what are you going to do after you graduate? Oh, I want to be a wife and a mother. That was her goal. She was satisfied. She was happy. She was looking forward to that. Now, you go up to a senior in high school today, and you say, what do you plan on doing after you graduate? How many do you think will say, oh, my ultimate goal is to be a wife and mother? See how it's changed? Because now our society is telling us, motherhood's okay, it's good, but it's not enough. If you choose to simply be a stay-at-home mom, You're selling yourself short. You're not living up to your full potential. You cannot really be satisfied and happy. What I hear 
is rather than, than I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want to be a godly wife and mother. What I hear is I want to get married and I want to establish my career and then have kids. Now, that is not God's pattern at all. Now, I realize there are situations where a lady must work outside the home, and I'm not addressing that issue. What I want to address today with you is the issue that if you choose to be a stay-at-home mom, you're selling yourself short, that somehow you are not living up to your full potential, that you're not really contributing to your family, and you're not really contributing to society because you're just staying at home all the time. Now, that is a lie of Satan. And if and here's the problem. The, the, the norms or the teachings of anti-biblical teachings of our society tend to get into our minds and it's almost a subconscious thing and we don't realize it. Right? I might ask this question to you who have daughters. Have you been counteracting what the world is saying about motherhood? And have you been saying to them, honey, there's no greater calling than being a godly wife and mother. There's no career. If Hillary Clinton, if she had won, she would have to have stepped down, in my opinion, from being a mother to being president of the United States. That's not a step up. There is no higher career, no higher calling for a mother than to be a godly mother and wife. That's what God says. Now again, we got to take your view of motherhood, evaluate it. Has it been more influenced by our society or has it been more influenced by the Word of God? Okay. If you think it's anything less than the highest calling, the most noble, glorious thing a mother can do and be, then you've been affected by society. God says this is it. There is no greater calling, no greater career for a mother than to be a godly wife and mother. Now I'm going to show you that from Scripture because obviously the Word of God is our source of all authority. Take your Bibles, turn over to... 1 Timothy chapter 2. And understand everything I say in light of the cultural war that we're involved in. And this is primary purpose of this, this sermon and this message is to encourage you, particularly you stay-at-home moms. Because I know you get bombarded from every direction about, oh, you just, you just stay at home, that's all you do, what do you do all day? You know, I want you to know you have chosen the best. You have, you're not settling for anything less than the best in God's opinion. Now, the world's not going to tell you that, but God says it. And as Christians, that's who we're concerned about, right? All right, over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading to get the context in verse 8. Now, in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, 
that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You may be seated. There we have in verse 15, God's declaration that motherhood is the absolute highest calling that a woman with children can have. Yet she shall be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, what in the world does this mean? All right? What does it mean? They will be saved through childbearing. Well, the first thing I need to talk about what it does not mean. First, it does not mean that she shall never die in childbirth, that her life will be saved in childbirth. Secondly, it does not mean and have anything to do with the Virgin Mary and the birth of Jesus. It does not mean that a woman receives spiritual salvation when she has a child. Again, that is contrary to everything we know in Scripture. All right, what does it mean? Well, the key to underlocking the meaning is to, first of all, look at the word saved. What does the word saved mean? She will be saved. All right, saved first of all, is used in many different ways in the New Testament. This word, sozo. Now, it can be used, and it is used, of somebody being healed. An example is over in Matthew 9, 22. Let's look at that very quickly. In Matthew 9, 22... The scripture says, Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Now that made well is the same word saved. Sozo. Could be translated, your faith has saved you. But it was dealing with her physical affliction. So it is rightly translated, you are made well. Well, so the word can have to do with physical healing. It can also have to do with being saved from false teachers. Over in Jude, it's used in that context. It can also be used of being saved from a shipwreck. This is the case with Paul over in Acts. It was used in Acts to be saved from a shipwreck. Also, it can be used to speak of Spiritual salvation, and that's what we generally think of when we think about that, don't we? 
when the Philippian jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And he said, repent, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's a word that's used. Now, another word, another way it can be used, it can be used in the sense of spiritual growth. Growing into spiritual maturity. Example, it's Philippians 2.12, where Paul says, Work out your own salvation, same word, sozo, with fear and trembling. Now, what's Paul saying? Is he saying that we have to work for our salvation? No, no, he's not saying work for. He says what? Work out. Someone has said we need to work out what God has worked in. And he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about growing into Christ's likeness. He's talking about growing into holiness. He says, work out. You are to put everything you've got into your spiritual growth. Fear and trembling, depending on God. And the verse goes on to say, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's a cooperative effort between us and God. But there's nothing that deserves more of your effort than growing spiritually. That means you put yourself in the place you can grow spiritually. That means you take time to, to study the Bible. You make sure you're involved in church. You are involved in prayer. You do the things necessary to promote spiritual growth. That's working out. And so the word in this context in Timothy is having to do with spiritual growth. Again, Romans 8, 28 and 30 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. Now what is that good? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined for what purpose? To be conformed to the image of of His Son. God's purpose for us is to conform us to the image of Jesus. And that's what spiritual maturity is. It's being more like Jesus. You want a definition of what is sanctification? It's being like Jesus. And God has promised that in the life of a believer and a Christian, He's going to use everything that comes into your life to form you and make you more like Jesus which is His ultimate purpose for you. That's why when you got saved, He didn't just take you to heaven. He's got a purpose. He wants you to be His representative. Where does, where does God dwell nowadays? In the Old Testament, He dwelled in the temple. In the New Testament, He dwelled in Jesus. And now He dwells in us. We're the temple. Right? And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, Jesus. But now we, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're His representatives. People must see Him in us. All right. Now, look what Paul said in Colossians. We proclaim Him, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom for what purpose? That we might present everyone what? Mature in Christ. Mature. Being more like Christ. So God's purpose for you is for your spiritual maturity. All right, now let's go back at our verse and let's, in the place of the word saved, let's put the word growing into spiritual maturity. Yet she, the Christian mother, will be saved, that is work out her salvation, grow into spiritual maturity, 
grow into Christ's likeness and reach her full potential through childbearing? Is it becoming, is it beginning to, to click now? Why motherhood is the most noble, highest career a woman can have? Because God has chosen that to be the arena where He will bring you into Christ's likeness. So the word saved has to do with spiritual maturity. Now we need to look at the word childbearing. Okay, does that mean when I have a baby, that's God's way of bringing me into Christ's likeness? That is His arena, the childbearing? I don't think so. Because childbearing is much more than just giving birth. It's one of those literary devices where you take one word and it represents a whole process. And that's what we're doing here with childbearing. Now, childbearing includes all the duties and responsibilities of motherhood. Raising those kids, changing those diapers... Nowadays, carting them all over, you know where, to get them where they need to be. Somebody said, why am I called a housewife if I spend so much time in the car? (laughs) Good question. All right. And this is, is reinforced by what Paul said about the younger widows. I want to have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion to slander. And so Paul is talking, when he uses the term childbearing, he's using the term everything that is involved in raising children. John Calvin said, not to speak merely of having children, but about enduring all the distresses which are manifold and severe, both in the birth and the rearing of children. He went on to say, it includes in one word all the annoyances that must be endured in bringing up children. He didn't have a real good opinion, did he? He must have had some hard times with his kids. But it includes bearing children, it includes raising the children, it includes all the household duties of being a homemaker, everything involved in being a Christian wife and mother. So what's God saying? This is God's promise. God's promise to the Christian mother is that He will primarily use the arena of motherhood to bring her into Christ-likeness. Now you see why that's so such a high calling. As God said, that's the main place. That is where I have chosen to mold you into my image more than anywhere is in that arena of motherhood. Now in our passage in 1 Timothy, he's talked to the men and he said their responsibility in the church, of leadership in the church and teaching. And then he says, and ladies, your place to grow, your place, your primary place to grow and serve God in the kingdom is in the home raising those kids. That's your ministry. You're a missionary to those heathen at home. They're just little heathens. That's your mission field. You don't need to go across the Atlantic. You got heathens in your house, right? 
That's your mission field. That's the high calling. If, if every mother would just concentrate on her own children and pray and, and minister and witness and, and see them come to Christ, how much would that accomplish for the kingdom of God? And that's what God, I'm clearly, He is saying. My design is that women will grow in the spiritual maturity, will work out their salvation in the realm of motherhood and all that's involved in being a godly wife and mother. All the rigors of raising children, keeping the house, fixing the meals, being a submissive wife. This is God's refiner's fire to mold you and shape you into the image of Christ. That's why it's no higher calling. Because there's no greater place for you to become like Jesus. And that's God's ultimate purpose for you. And for me. It's to make us like Jesus. And He says, this is the place. This is the place I have designed in my wisdom... When I created the world and when I created the structures of family and I created one and called her mother, this is the place, the primary place that I've chosen to mold you into the image of my son, Jesus. This is it. Don't look anywhere else. You have found it. That's why it is such a high calling. It is in all the trials and the headaches and the frustration and the dirty diapers that God has designed to conform you to the image of Christ. Hmm. That's a thought, isn't it? But that's what the Word says. All right, now, there are conditions to it. It's not just automatic because you're a mother that you're going to grow into Christ's likeness. If they continue... And faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now the construction in the Greek is Paul expects them with every certainty they will continue, right? It's like saying we will have a picnic outside today if it doesn't rain and it's absolutely clear and there's no forecast of rain at all. It'd be kind of like that. Paul says if, but he continues. He believes they will continue to do it, all right? If they continue in faith and love and self-control. Those are the conditions. Now let's look at faith. Why is it that faith is so important? Well, first, you've got to believe God's word over what the culture is telling you. Right? Faith, you remember a few months ago when I was here, we said faith is to believe what God says over what these eyes see. God's Word says there's no higher calling, there's no greater way to develop Christ's likeness than in the rigors of motherhood. The world's not going to tell you that. Your eyes are not going to tell you that. Right? Some days you look and you see dishes that need to be washed. You see floors that need to be swept. You see diapers that need to be changed. You see dishes that need to be washed. You see beds that need to be made. You see clothes that need to be washed. And it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And you're thinking, what? Growing to my full potential as a Christ-like person in this environment? (laughs) That takes faith. Takes faith. As you're making up those beds, as you're changing those diapers... 
as you're giving those kids baths, as you're fixing those meals, say, thank you, Jesus. This is making me grow into Christ's likeness. That takes faith. You got to believe it. Faith that motherhood's the most important career that there is. That takes faith. Because the world's not going to affirm you at that point. You see other women all dressed up, going to work and, and going out to eat at lunch. And, and you turn on the TV and, and you see these glamorous movie stars. And, and then you look at yourself and you think, what? <laughs> My full potential? I'm, I'm just missing out. That's a lie of Satan. You're not missing out. That is God's place to refine you. But it takes faith for you to believe that. Right? Now, love. He not only says faith, but love. Now, what, how does love figure into it? Well, what is love? Love is self-given, isn't it? Love is self-sacrifice, isn't it? And this is love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us and gave Himself for us. Love is self-sacrifice. I do not know of any person in this world that is called on to give more and to sacrifice more than a mother. It's 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, men. You know, we'd go on vacation. My wife was like, you know, it's not a vacation for me. (laughs) I still got to wash clothes. I still got to fix meals. I still got to change diapers. What do you mean vacation? (laughs) They don't get off. Finally, after a number of years, got through this stick head. And one day I'd say, guys, I'm mama today. Leave her alone. She's off one day out of, you know. But anyway, I was proud I was doing one day. But leave her alone. Any problems, you come to me. I'd fix the meal, everything, you know. But still, look, they don't get any time off, guys. They give and 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 they have to give some more. Motherhood takes a great love that God supplies as you trust Him for it. When you come to the end of your rope, you've got two or three sick at home, the weather's raining outside, so the other kids, even who aren't sick, are in the house, and they are running around like banshee Indians, and you've had about all you can get, and then you hear something break, and you go and ask your favorite vase, and you say, God. I can't take it anymore. This, this is where I'm growing into Christ likeness? Yes. And you have to trust God to hang in there. And let me say, you know, it's nothing wrong with some days saying, I, I just feel like I want to run out of here and never come back. I mean, I, I think if any mother's honest, you have those days, right? I just want to take off and you will never see me again. I have had it. And I think that's normal, and I, and I think it's natural to have those feelings. So don't feel guilty and bad if some days you have those feelings. But you don't run, and you do stay. You just feel like it, and that's okay. That's when you call on God's grace to be what you need at that time.
And then he says, and, and, and let me just say also, another thing about mothers giving and giving and giving, who appreciates it? The kids don't appreciate it. They're too immature. Most men don't appreciate it because they don't have a clue. They're too tied up in their own world. All right, let me suggest some guys that really helped me in this area. And, and then I didn't choose it. It was kind of put upon me. But when, when Terry's dad was dying of cancer and she needed to go and, and, and so help her mother. And so she went for a couple of days uh, to help her mother. And at the time, uh, our younger three were all in diapers. Uh, and, of course, we had our older three. Uh, but I had to take on the responsibility of fixing the meals, washing the clothes, changing the diapers, bathing the kids, putting them down for naps, changing the diapers, <laughs> you know, cleaning the dishes, uh, telling them the stories, entertaining them, just waiting for nap time. Have you ever been there thinking... Oh, Hurry, let nap time come. <laughs> and then fixing the meals, and then changing the diapers, and then putting them in the bed and all that. Now, man, you need to do that. And you need to do it for at least two days. And and she can't have food already in the freezer and all you got to do is take it out and warm it up. No, you need to fix it. You need to plan the meals. You need to fix it. You need to actually wash the clothes and take them out and fold them and do all of that and actually bathe the kids and get them dressed and put them in the bed and tell them the stories. Do it all only to wake up the next day and have to start all over again. Now, let me tell you, you'll have a better appreciation for what she goes through. I couldn't do it. I know I couldn't do it. I would run away and never come back. I couldn't do it. Because it's the most self-giving, self-sacrificing thing ever is being a mother, a godly mother and wife. And then the third thing, not only love, not only faith, but holiness with self-control. Now this word primarily has to do with spiritual holiness. Moral purity is the way the word is used. And I think Paul is warning you know, in those days, maybe when, when you're tired, you're worn out, your husband's in la-la land, he's at work, he's not attentive, he seems like he doesn't care. And particularly in this day and time with the social media, it's dangerous to connect on Facebook with that old flame in high school. Well, yeah, and you start thinking... Man, what it was like in high school when you were in that love and, and she's having problems in her marriage and he's having problems in his marriage. That's not of God. Your wife ought to, and your husband ought to have free access to your Facebook, your messages, everything. Ought to be open book. She ought to know your password. He ought to know your password. Can go on any of your social medias anytime. And See what you're doing, who you're talking to. Man, it would texting, you know, it used to be chat rooms people would go in. I don't know if they even do that stuff anymore, but I mean, all kind of troubles. Paul is warning, maintain that moral purity. Maintain that holiness before the Lord. That means you've got to have time with the Lord. 
That means even in the midst of all those free time. What's free time, you say? I mean, they even come in the bathroom when I'm trying to take a bath or something else. They're knocking on the door. Mommy, mommy, mommy. What's free time? Hubby, that's where you come in. Make sure she has time to be in the Word. Make sure she has time to pray. That's important. Because if she's going to grow into Christ's likeness, she's got to carry out all those responsibilities with love and faith and holiness. Trust in the Lord. Now, ladies, again, there is absolutely no higher calling. Don't listen to what the world's telling you. Don't listen to what you're reading in women's magazines. They will not tell you that. There's no higher calling, none at all, than being a godly mother. Because that's where God has chosen as His primary place to mold you into Christ's likeness. You say, well, my kids are grown. Well, you're still a mother and you know they still need you. And they never, they never get too old for that. Mm-mm. If you ever thought, man, once they get out of this house, I'm free. No. <laughs> we know better than that, don't we? From the day they were born, you're tied to them for life. But that's a good thing. That's the way we grow. Now, just a word. For those, sometimes this is God's, this is God's general prim, primary plan, but it's not in God's plan for everybody to have children. And so you're no less of a person if, if that's not God's plan for you. But I think the arena for you to grow into Christ's likeness at that point is being a godly wife. And then there are some occasions where God doesn't intend for a lady to get married or have children. She's single, but God said there's a special place for single people in his kingdom as well. So I don't know if we have any that fit into these categories in here, but there may be some who will listen online. And and I guess what I'm saying is, if God's not giving you the opportunity to be a mother or to be married, you're not less of a person at all. Just find your place in where God wants you to grow into Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Father, we do. Oh, I rejoice that you have given mothers such a high and holy calling. I pray you would encourage the women here today. I pray they would go away just rejoicing, even in the midst of all those difficulties and and just the constancy of running noses and, and dirty diapers and fighting siblings and arguing and all those things that go on and the continuous washing of clothes and fixing meals, that they would find in that, this is my place to grow into Christ-likeness. My place to give and to sacrificially love my children and my husband. That I might be like Jesus. Encourage them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened. 
and your daily walk with Him deepened.